Hey, it's Erica. I just wanted to let you know that you can now listen to Global News What Happened To ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. The crack of the bat, the roar of the crowd, the taste of peanuts and Cracker Jacks, and you might wonder if they'll ever be back. Because it's been over 17 years since this team played their final home game. But their presence is still felt all these years later. I love the city. It's, it's my home. I always call it my second home. It's just the greatest time of my life. I'm Erica Vela. Today we go back and find out what happened to the team that once represented a nation. And we're on track to bring home the trophy. This is Global News What Happened to the Montreal Expos. The Expos was the first major league baseball team outside of the U.S., and until 2004, they were based in Montreal, Canada. The team was named after the 1967 Expo, and their logo is elusive and up for interpretation. To some, the bright red, white, and blue logo looks like the letter M for Montreal in the colors that copy the French flag. But to others, it makes out the letters EMB for Expos de Montreal Baseball. There are others who also make out the letters CB for the original majority owner, Charles Bronfman. No matter how you look at it, it's a symbol of the city and a legacy for Montrealers. To find out more about the team, I turned to Elliot Price. He's a former sportscaster and was the voice of the Expos on and off from 1989 until the end. Elliot grew up in Montreal and his passion for sport came from his father, who was an Expos fan from the start. He was a crazy sports fan. He had season tickets to the Canadians. He had season tickets to the Expos. And so I was there at their first home game. And, uh, I mean, he was a, a loud voice uh, in the stadium. That first home game wasn't the team's debut. That would happen on April 8th, 1969 at Shea Stadium against the Mets. They won against the Mets 11-10 that Tuesday. And the first home game in Montreal was on April 14th, 1969 at Jerry Park. The Expos hosted the St. Louis Cardinals. There was a lot of worry because it had, it had snowed significantly during that week in April of 1969. And uh, it was a makeshift field as well. And they were worried about uh, what kind of, uh, you know, would they be able to play the game? And if they couldn't, I mean, how long were they not going to be able to play? And lo and behold, April 14th, 1969, the sun came out and it was 72 degrees Fahrenheit. And there were people standing on snow mounds behind the outfield fences looking in uh, to a full house, to the first game ever played in Canada. Elliot was there and witnessed part of history. I still have uh, one of the uh, pieces of memorabilia I picked up that day. Um, I met the great Stan Musial, Stan the Man, and he autographed the baseball. My dad said, put that away, that's special. And of course, I played with it and ruined it. Uh, But uh, I did get a bat from Kurt Flood, who has a significant place in Major League Baseball history. Uh, in fact, in sports history, because he's the guy that led to free agency in all sports. I was, uh, we had good seats. I was near the near the dugout, and he came over, and he was looking for someone to give a bat to, and I still have that baseball bat. 
At the start of the franchise, the Expos were bigger than the city of Montreal. Like the Toronto Raptors are for basketball, the Expos were at the time the only Canadian Major League Baseball team. Warren Cromarty made his professional debut with the Expos on September 6, 1974. And for him, baseball was in his blood. My father played in the Eagle Leagues too, so anyway, when he retired, he, uh, he, he ran the Parks and Recreation in the city of Miami. Uh, baseball was one of his activities that uh, participated. So I got lucky. I got a dad who taught me everything, taught me the game at that time. And um, playing baseball was, was a wonderful sport. I played when I was seven years old and, um, you know, played it all my life. And um, I, I had something. I knew I had something. Hitting the ball a little farther than everybody else hit it at that particular time. And uh, gave me a way out of uh, being in the, and uh, not living up in poor neighborhoods and a single mom and things of that nature. So things really turned out well. Warren turned that passion into a career. And in the early 70s, he was drafted by the Montreal Expos. At the time, he didn't know much about this new team. I didn't know anything about Canada other than uh, I've heard of Montreal. But, um, you know, during that time, I was, you know, when I got drafted by the Expos, I go, man, I got drafted by a Canadian team. I mean, all the major league teams, I get drafted by this team. But after giving some thought about it and listening to other people, they were going to change some things around in Montreal and start with a young movement and gave me an opportunity to start, as we say in the game, fresh paper and be a part of something that is at the beginning. And uh, pretty much it. We were all young. All the guys who I played with wind up playing together in the majors for eight, ten years. That's when he realized baseball was woven into the fabric of Montreal. Jackie Robinson played in Montreal on the farm team. Was known it was a Triple A team for the Dodgers. Tommy Lasorda played here. Even the Rifleman. I don't know if you know. There's Chuck Connors who played the Rifleman TV series. I started in 1974. I got drafted out of uh, junior college 1974 by the Montreal Expos, and I got uh, went to the high Double A. They have three, four different divisions during that time: Single A. Double A, Triple A, Major League. Well, I started in Double A, which is in Quebec City, Canada, and I was a Double A, the minor league affiliate of the Expos at the time. So it's like a two and a half hour drive from Montreal to Quebec City. So I was part of that uh, 1974, uh, my first year in pro ball. So saw snow for the first time in Quebec, Canada. It was quite an adventure. Aside from Putin and snow, there was one other thing that stood out to Warren. Canadian fans are very passionate about this sport. Montreal is super passionate about this sports. And they all, after all, and after a while, they all become coaches and smart uh, sports writers and smarter than everybody else after a while. But with all that said, it's a passionate uh, city. Warren played with the Montreal Expos for almost a decade. At the beginning, he played at Jerry Park Stadium. It was an outdoor ballpark, fairly small, but packed a good crowd with a capacity of about 28,000. I got to experience Montreal for the first time, Major League Baseball at Jerry Park in Montreal, Park Jerry. Gene Mark was the manager, and that was in 1974 when I was 22 years old. So I just got called up for the minor leagues. But I got a little uh, a feel of uh, Jerry Park because the ballpark was so intimate at that time. It was relatively small, 
but always packed and the air was electric in that uh, ballpark and uh, people speaking French, speak, speaking English, singing and just having a good good time and really supporting the team because, you know, like I said before, Montreal is very passionate. It's four million people in Montreal. And uh, I always say at least half of that are, are Expo fans. <laughs> In 1977, the team moved to the Olympic Stadium, and as time went on, the Expos began to grow. By the early 80s, Warren said the Expos were a winning team. Well, 1981, we were a championship team. Uh, it was the half season, and, um, you know, I guess we started to come, in, come into our own. Larry Parrish, Gary Card, Andre Dawson, Tim Raines, all the names like that, and we won the pennant in 1981. What's supposed to even show up? We had to face Steve Cald in Philadelphia. And, uh, you know, pretty much the, the media really didn't give us a chance on winning with Steve Carlton. is on the mound. He's got to win one game. And anyway, we pulled it off and uh, caught the last. I caught the last out of the championship series in Philadelphia. And uh, that was something that will go down with me, one of my biggest moments. And I held up the... Canadian flag when I was so excited and very proud. And uh, some fans, friends of mine had the Canadian friends. So I went over there and grabbed it and I, and I held it up. Little did I know that was going to be something like a, a monument statement uh, for, for Canada, not only for Canada, myself as well, but uh, that, was a, that was a big moment, the biggest moment for me. In the photo, you see Warren smiling from ear to ear, holding the Canadian flag. It's a moment Warren won't ever forget. City was on fire during that time. During the 80s, cities were on fire, and uh, uh, we were all excited. We, we made Montreal a real good destination, impact on it. Elliot had been watching his team succeed as well, but from the grandstands. From 79 to 83, the Expos had the best record in baseball and only made the playoffs once. If they had done that in an era where um, the wild card existed and there wasn't, you finished first or you didn't make the playoffs, uh, then they would have made the playoffs every single year and perhaps things would have been a whole lot different. Postseason's a crapshoot. Uh, it almost doesn't matter how good you are because everybody's good. And if you get hot for a week or two, you can win the championship. If you get five tries at it, you might win it once. They only got one in their history. One. The Expos were really, really close to getting to the World Series. Blue Monday happened in 81, where they got knocked out in the last inning before the World Series. Warren was on the team that year. They called it Blue Monday. And we were one game away from going to the World Series ever in Montreal. That really hurt us, took some out of us. On October 19th, 1981, the Dodgers won Game 5 and the National League Championship Series thanks to a ninth-inning home run by Rick Monday. This day has since been referred to as Blue Monday by Expos fans. The Dodgers then went on to defeat the New York Yankees in the World Series. Warren Cromartie and the Expos weren't able to repeat the same level of success. And in 1983, he left the team and played professionally in Japan. But Montreal always stayed with him. I mean, look, I've been there with the only team that I know, professional team that I played for. It made me who I am in the game on a higher level in a different, in a different country. So, you know, yeah, you know, being there for so long, since 1974, yeah, you, 
you're going to miss the city. You're going to miss the friends you made in the game. But, you know, you can always go back. But at that moment, you know how life is. It's unpredictable at times. And what you think that you might know, you don't know. So, uh, but it all turned out really well. But it was a, it was a piece of uh, uh, nostalgia or history of me was left. You know, it was a, it was a moment that, yes, that uh, when I left Montreal, I left a piece of me there as well, as the song always says. Meanwhile, Elliot Price turned his passion for sports, and baseball in particular, into a career. He worked as a radio announcer at various radio stations in the Maritimes. In 1982, Elliot worked as a sports journalist covering the Expos. And in 89, he became a pre- and post-game host. A couple years later, he got his dream job and became a play-by-play announcer for the Expos. They played in my hometown. I was a baseball fan. And uh, the thing is, so my, my dad and I, we, uh, we cheered for different teams uh, in all sports. I grew up in Montreal. I was a Blackhawk fan. Uh, he was a Dolphin fan. I was a Raider fan. He was a Giants fan, a Dodger fan. I was a Giants fan. I was an Orioles fan. He was a Tigers fan. But the Expos came and we were united. Uh, this was our team. Uh, and it was Montrealers team. And it was a brand new thing. And hockey had been forever. But I, I love hockey, but baseball special for me. And to have a team uh, in my hometown Uh, that you could love from the first day. I mean, we would learn these players. Uh, There was no history. There wasn't what happened 50 years ago. There's what happened today and what happens going forward. And we would know everything that ever happened. As the years went by, the Expos built and rebuilt, always trying to reach the same level of success as 1981. Jeff Facero is a former pitcher, and he was called up to play for the Expos in 1991. When I first got called up in 91, they had a pretty good nucleus at the time, but it wasn't playing well, so they kind of dispersed it and started rebuilding in 92. And then 93, we added a couple more younger guys, and we got we were pretty good. I mean, we, we could have won that year, that, that year too. But then once we got to 94, we were all together for, it had been about three years, most of the nucleus was together and all the young talent was coming together. I mean, we had a great team. We had great clubhouse, um, no bickering, no fighting. I mean, we were out there. We we came to the ballpark every day knowing we were going to win that day. Even if we lost, we came back the next day knowing we were going to win that day. And it was probably one of the best feelings I had playing baseball. Uh, out of all my 16 years with that team um, because everybody was great. If you look up and down that lineup, every position, you know, you got all-stars that were there and we were all in the prime of our life all at the same time. So I think that's what really made that team great. As they struggled to find the success of those earlier seasons, attendance waned. That is until 1994. That year, the Expos roster was stacked with stars like Larry Walker, Moises Alou, Cliff Floyd, Marquise Grissom, and Pedro Martinez. They were arguably the best team in baseball. I'm sure there were other teams that uh, that could make that claim. The Atlanta Braves would win uh, every division uh, for a decade, but they weren't winning that year. 
And we had we had a, a series in Montreal against the Atlanta Braves, and the Braves were the big guys, and the Expos were the up and comers. And it was up to the Expos to show that they could play with these guys, and uh, and they did. They won the first two games of that series, and there was going to be a, an afternoon game for the third game of the series. And I'm going, and Atlanta Braves broadcasters were uh, always ready to point out uh, how. Uh, attendance in Montreal and, and what a baseball city it was and wasn't, forgetting that they had crowds of under 10,000 when they weren't good several years before that. So we're coming up to this afternoon game, and there's a frenzy as far as baseball is concerned. But will people come out to the game in that afternoon game? And I had tears in my eyes. I, I mean, all of a sudden, the place is filling up. It's a net. We, we, when the game was over, we couldn't get a bus. Uh, out of Olympic Stadium uh, to get to the airport to fly out of town. When the game started, there were still people in the rotunda outside Olympic Stadium trying to get in. And that was the day when it, when it was clear that uh, this baseball team was not only, because they won again, was not only uh, right there as far as the best teams in baseball, but that the city of Montreal was going to support them and they were going to fill this place up um, the rest of the way. And they did. Attendance was great the rest of the season, uh, but there wasn't a rest of the season, as it turns out. The Expos were on track to make it to the World Series for the first time. But then, on August 12th, 1994... It was clear to me, and, I, and I, I said so on the radio, that there was a very good possibility that there was going to be a significant work stoppage. Owners and players had reached the point, and there had been such animosity for years and years and years. And this was the tipping point, uh, that they would never complete the season, that they would stop and, and have a, a full stop, a period, and never play the World Series that year was unfathomable. But apparently unfathomable happens. The strike inevitably stopped any chances the Expos had at the World Series. I asked Jeff, what was the labor disruption about for players like him? It's about arbitration. It's about free agency. It's about the pay scale. And, you know, it, it's, it's a big argument about who, who's getting cheated and who's not. I mean, it's a different than a regular business because, you know, like in a business, let's say you want to go out and get interview for another job, even if you're working. And then you can go in, I'm going to give you two weeks notice because I got a better offer over here. Well, you can't do that in baseball. So that's why arbitration and free agency was developed, you know, but they're, you know, they keep trying to negotiate it back and back and back. And what we fought for, we can't give that back to them. So, I mean, that, that was our biggest contention was arbitration, free agency and avoiding a salary cap. He said the hope was to return and finish the season. We were taking the chance of it was going to be like it was in, what was it, 81 or 82, when they had the other major strike, but they got back and finished the season. That's what we were hoping for, but it just didn't, didn't happen. If we could go back, I think I would prefer to have the strike later in the season and really force the owners' um, hands because, I mean, Montreal's looking to get in the playoffs for the first time since I can't remember when they were in it. And then the White Sox are in the same situation. So I think, you know, and then the Yankees were there and, you know, 
at that time, Steinbrenner had a big voice. So if he says we're going to settle something before this all happens, could it have happened? And would we have got our chance in the playoffs and possibly the World Series? Possibly, but, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. So however you look at it, it turned out the way it was. It's disappointing for us as a team, you know, but I think it worked out for baseball in the long run. After the strike in 1994, Elliot said that while the team had some promising talent, many fans were just not interested. A lot of people just gave up on Major League Baseball. When 94 got shut down and they were the best team in baseball, and then these players got traded, a lot of people said, never going to another game. Never going to another game, never watching them again, never listening to another game. There's other things I can do with my life. And there are other things you can do with your life. (laughs) Why? These people tortured you, and you're not interested in, in, in that kind of treatment anymore. Jose Vidro played with the Expos during those difficult years. He was drafted in 1992. By 1999, he was the Expos second baseman. And he remembers hearing the rumors about the team back then. I didn't realize what was going on around the ball club until probably two or three years later when I started realizing that there was there was a possibility that the team would move from Montreal. So at the beginning for me, like I would say 99, 2000, uh, in 2001, I was really focused on, on really control what I can't control, which was playing the game. And the stuff that was around around the, the, the team, I, you know, I couldn't control that. So I was really paying attention, but I was not really focused on that. I was shocked because I, I didn't know it was, it was possible to do that. <laughs> you know, uh, I was young and naive, but I didn't, I didn't know it was possible to do it. Uh, at the time, I think we, our owners were uh, uh, the Loria family. And the way they were, you know, always around the ball club and, you know, we didn't expect that at all. Then all of a sudden, all this news started to come out and I was like, ah, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. And then realized he was destined for that. So it was kind of sad, especially for me, because I love playing there. I love the city and I have great years playing in Montreal. So, uh, I think around nine, I think around 2002, 2001, 2002, that's when, 2002, that's when I start making more, more, more noise. And I was like, oh, there's no way to stop this. I think we're going to be moving out of Montreal. And it was kind of sad for us. Elliot Price remembers those games too. There were so many times when they said the Expos were leaving and they didn't. So the sliver of you keeps hope until the last possible moment. And they really, I don't think they announced it. So that's the last game of the Expos, but the last home game was the week before. And they didn't announce that they were moving to Washington, I think, until the night before the last home game. And that was uh, very emotional because there was all of these Expos employees who had, I mean, these are people that have been together for a long period of time. And to, to walk around and to look at these faces and knowing we're never congregating uh, with this feeling, with this team, with the, with this life ever again. It was a very difficult day. Ten years after their golden year, the final nail in the coffin. Video from the day shows an emotional crowd. Players on the field with their heads dropped, some in tears. On September 29th, the Expos played for the final time at Olympic Stadium. 
the 3-1. Hit in the air. A high pop fly. Third base side playable. It'll be Mike Mordecai drifting back into fair territory to make the catch. And the season at Olympic Stadium has come to a close. The light bulbs continue at the stadium. No one's going home just yet. Then, just a few days later, on October 3rd, 2004, the Expos played the same team they faced in their first game ever in 1969, the New York Mets. And Elliot Price was a part of it. I was in a broadcast booth doing the game with Mitch Melnick and my brother, who flew in from Los Angeles. And uh, we cried. The game ended. I recorded, uh, I knew, uh, I knew I wouldn't get through the finale and closing off the last broadcast, so I recorded it. And while we were listening to it, the three of us just, uh, it was the end. After 2004, the Expos moved to Washington and became the Nationals. Fans like Perry Giannis were gutted. The team they once loved was now gone. You know, I used to go to ball games with my dad and, and stuff like that. So uh, I was an Expos fan. I was a baseball fan from, uh, from as far as I could remember. And um, it blossomed into the love for the Montreal Expos eventually. He's been called the world's biggest Expos fan. And although he was devastated by the move, he channeled his love for the team into becoming a serious Expos collector. Inspiration was, in, like I said, was in 2004 because I said, this is it. At least let me go down in my basement and, and enjoy, you know, the great memories of, of the Montreal Expos, the great players. Like my stuff is, is like 90% game news. So I have, um, you know, game news jerseys dating back from 1969 all the way till 2004. I have uh, Gary Carter's gold glove from 82. I have Andre Dawson, two gold gloves from Andre Dawson, 81 and 85. Uh, I have the silver slugger from 83. Um, so, you know, it, it's stuff like that, that I get to go and, and relive. And, and I love to show people like any chance I get, it's not so easy to, to move all that stuff, but, uh, you know, I have Yuppie's costume also from 1980, uh, from the eighties. I have his last one in, uh, in 2004, but any chance I get to, to show my stuff is, um, uh, it makes me happy, you know, because I, I, a lot of people, especially younger people, you know, forget or didn't realize just how amazing the Montreal Expos were and that, you know what, Montreal is a baseball town and, you know, it'll always be a baseball town because, you know, we're dating back to the early 1900s or, you know, Jackie Robinson in the forties, you know, like we, you, you don't lose that. So once, you know, once baseball comes back to Montreal and it will eventually, people will get it. They, they will fall in love with it again. Like in 1969, we didn't know how many balls and strikes there were in a game. But we fell in love with it, and, you know, that, that's going to come back. That's going to come back uh, eventually. Perry is convinced that baseball is coming back to the city of Montreal. There have been whispers of splitting the season to have the Rays play half of their 81 home games in Tampa and the other half in Montreal. The Rays have played at Tropicana Field since 1998, but they haven't had the best attendance. In 2021, they were reported to have the second lowest attendance in Major League Baseball, even though they made it to the playoffs that year. 
The lease agreement with Tropicana Field is set to expire in 2027. So the plan was to start a sister city agreement in 2028 with Montreal. Matthew Silverman, the president of the Tampa Bay Rays, spoke about it on the team's podcast last September. We are working away and, and making progress both here and in, uh, in Montreal. The mission has largely been driven by Canadian businessman Stephen Bronfman, whose father, Charles Bronfman, had majority ownership of the Expos for over two decades. I asked Elliot Price about it. The Tampa Bay Rays don't do well uh, when it comes to uh, in-stadium attendance. They do terribly. And they're, they're as well a run team as there is in Major League Baseball. And they have to be because they don't have any money for uh, their, their players. And uh, they keep churning out uh, amazing players. And uh, my understanding is they do well as far as revenue is concerned on television, but they can't get a new stadium. And, uh, and they've been trying. The problem is that they are locked in uh, with uh, fin- significant financial punishment to that stadium until 2027. And so I do believe that uh, if, if that hadn't been the case, they'd be out of there by now. And now we're reaching the point, as I said before, where Major League Baseball is looking at places for expansion. And if they could uh, shoot half of the season of Tampa Bay to Montreal, well, Montreal would no longer be an expansion uh, possibility. They'd have half a team. That would leave other markets uh, for expansion fees that would put more money in the pockets of Major League Baseball's owners. It's an idea that Elliot had dreamed about but never imagined would have happened. If you would have asked me 10 years ago, I would have said it was a zero point something percent possibility. And uh, it's it's grown. There's a a great groundswell of support uh, for the team right now. It was also a dream come true for former Expo Warren Cromartie. While his career with the team ended in 83, his love for Montreal baseball is still strong. And in 2012, Following the death of Expos Hall of Famer Gary Carter, Warren said he knew something needed to be done to memorialize Carter, the Expos, and Montreal baseball. During that time was a very sad moment, very sad time. And I was taking a flight to Montreal, and I guess a couple recognized me or something like that. They tapped me on the shoulder and they asked the crow, where you know we're a place we can go look at some expo stuff or memorabilia or anything expo. And it kind of dawned on me, Montreal's got nothing. Montreal's got nothing to show the expos was ever there, which I think is a travesty. And I called Montreal out on this. I go, are you kidding me? Since 1969, all this product, what we've done here, baseball in Montreal, there's nothing around here. And now Gary Carter has passed What are you going to do for Gary Carter? Shame on you, Montreal. What are you going to do for Montreal? What are you going to do for Gary Carter, somebody who's passionate about the game, who spent time in the city, who wears an Expo cap in the Hall of Fame, first one, and this this city's got nothing. So I pretty much called him out. Then I put together a 1981 championship team gala. Then I brought the guys back. We had a gala. We had uh, guys come back, sign some autographs, play some golf, and raise some money. Uh, where you know, did a little clinic. That was the start in 2012 when I put all that together there. And next thing you know, one thing's going to another. One thing's going to another. Warren said that's how the Montreal baseball project was born. So I have family in Quebec, and you know, I still go to Montreal. 
and what I have going on now since 2012, trying to get my team back in Montreal. Things are working out very well with that. And, um, you know, I still stay, stay in touch with lots of folks in Montreal that participate in Montreal as much as possible. But since 2012, when I started this, uh, this uh, what you would call a, uh, a uh, ambitious project of mine, Montreal Baseball Project, trying to get Montreal baseball back in Montreal. It took some doing, but here we are now and got a big chance of baseball coming back to Montreal and got a good group together. And um, it really it really picked up some steam once I started by myself in 2012 and for five years. And now I'm working with uh, Stephen Brofman um, as part of the group there also. So uh, I'm really looking forward to this and we all want to make Montreal a destination again. While excitement has been brewing and discussions have been had, in mid-January of 2022, Major League Baseball made the final call. They rejected the plan. Stephen Bronfman reacted to the decision and released a statement that reads in part, quote, While we are disappointed with MLB's decision, we respect it. I'm very proud of the work we've done together with our partners and friends in Tampa Bay. We reignited a strong appetite in this market for Major League Baseball from all key stakeholders, the fan base, the corporate sector, and the media. Major League Baseball has certainly taken notice. This project would have meant so much for the relaunch of our community and our province, providing hope for everyone after these dark couple of years. End quote. I spoke with Elliot Price about the developments. I was disappointed because while it starts off being a long shot, um, Major League Baseball, the commissioner a year ago, uh, said that uh, he was behind this. So for the executive council to rise up against him and then squash it, very disappointing for uh, people in Montreal, for baseball fans in Montreal, for uh, the people that are putting it together. I mean, um, such a job by uh, Mr. Hoffman to, uh, to get this far and to be in with Major League Baseball and city and the province and the country and trying to get the land and all that, thinking that he was further along than that's what they led him to believe, uh, has to be a major disappointment all the way around. At this point, there's no plan B to bring baseball back to Montreal. But I wondered, does a no now mean no forever? Well, I, I don't know. I mean, a lot will depend on what's going on right now. Major League Baseball is working out a collective bargaining agreement with their players, and eventually there will be baseball in 2022. And I would imagine somewhere along the way in these negotiations, they will uh, start talking about expansion. Um, Now, Montreal has been mentioned as uh, one of the uh, possibilities as future expansion. The money aspect of it does not bode well for Montreal. You know, your your Major League Baseball is is this is this what you want? I mean, you have the possibility of Nashville, Las Vegas is is proving to be a huge hockey uh, town, a huge football town. So certainly, Major League Baseball has their eye on Vegas for a Major League team. Nashville's been buying. Well, they they started off like post Expo leaving. They started off at never. They worked their way up to never to hopeful to maybe to oh my goodness look what they're doing uh to they're not doing that anymore and so this raises 
huge questions as to uh, Major League Ball. And what do they really mean when they say whatever it is they say, because they're mostly non-believable. While the dream to bring baseball back to Montreal seems to be delayed indefinitely, there's still hope, even if the future seems unclear. As I wrapped up this episode, I was left with a sense of optimism, like the tides are turning and there's excitement about baseball in Montreal once again. And whenever, if ever it returns, fans and Expos players from the past will be there to welcome it back with some peanuts and Cracker Jacks. Thank you for joining me this week. Global News What Happened To is written and produced by me, Erica Vela, with producer Dila Velasquez. Our audio producer is Rob Johnson. Also, thanks goes to Drew Hasselback, supervising national online journalist for Global News. Let us know what you thought of this episode and please share it with a friend. It will help us grow the show and bring you more incredible stories. You can also help us by giving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. You can also reach out to me personally. We're always looking for new stories, so if there's a new story you want us to revisit, you can reach me on Twitter at Erica Vella or email me at erica.vella at globalnews.ca. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>